Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and in just one second, we'll be joined by uh, Wall Street Journal and Yahoo Sports contributor Michael Salfino. Uh, Lots of great stuff to talk about with the Mets tonight, so let's get right to it. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. We're right on the eve of opening day. Yeah, uh, very exciting. You know, of course, last year the Mets played on uh, the the Sunday game, but we'll have to wait an extra day for the Mets to actually uh, debut this year. But uh, let's get right into our questions. And, of course, with the Mets, the big news today was that they finally announced the suspension for J. Reese Familia, and uh, it's 15 games. What's your take both on the uh, length of the suspension and how MLB handled it? Well, you know, I I don't – really know like I'm always uncomfortable as far as like getting involved in like my judgment as to because I, I in no way want to mitigate obviously any form of um, spousal abuse or uh, abuse of a, of a woman you know in some of the cases uh, regardless of whether or not it's a spouse so um, I have no idea really like how to um, how these matters should be adjudicated uh, especially when they're complicated by the fact that the uh, woman is um, almost going to be uh, penalized twice if the player gets suspended significantly without pay, then that's income that, you know, she loses as part of that relationship. So it's just like a really odd and unfortunate and sad situation. Um, But I obviously respect the fact that baseball has to step in and do something. And I, I don't want in any way say that this penalty was, um, you know, uh, too severe at all. I, I, I'm also uh, uncomfortable in saying it was just right. I mean, I just think strictly from a baseball standpoint, uh, the Mets being without Familia for 15 games doesn't seem to be something that should significantly impact the season. Uh, but that obviously depends on the efficacy of the other relievers in the pen. And it's been um, – kind of up and down this spring. I just don't know how predictive that is, but it's really not something that, that I, I'm too worried about as a Mets fan, strictly from a baseball standpoint. The obvious comparison was the situation last year with across town, our oldest Chapman got uh, 30 games. So get, for me, getting 15 seems, uh, I don't want to go unfair, but uh, it has to go at least a little bit surprising that it was only half the amount that uh, the guy got last year. But uh, let's move on to the other uh, news of today, and that's Stephen Matz and the MRI on his elbow. And it uh, looks like he's not going to be ready for opening day, but with this new 10-day disabled list, he may not even technically miss a start. Uh, how worried should the Mets be about uh, Matz here in 2017, though? Oh, really worried. I mean, this is a guy that just is such a, um intriguing talent, and uh, I think that he could be – as good as any of the Mets pitchers if he was ever able to maintain his health, but he just doesn't seem to be designed to throw a baseball for a living. And um, it's just one problem after another with him. And this obviously 
you know, uh, I think with a different player, you might be able to say, well, this maybe could resolve itself rather quickly and it's not that big of a deal. But with Mass, I think you have to assume that the glass is half empty with all of these injuries. And I think, um, you know, his status, not just for the start of the season, but for the season in general, has to be put in serious question. Um, but, but I don't know, like, what, what are your thoughts? Do you, do you concur or do you think that this is much ado about nothing? Well, I think that Matt's is almost in a in a bad situation here because we have such a uh, a culture, a, a myth that the the guys are supposed to bite the bullet and go out and pitch as long as their arm isn't falling off. And here's a guy who said, "Hey, you know everything's not feeling right. You, you guys need to know about this." And I don't think that we should be hammering Matt's for this. I think we should be commending him. And he's already been throwing. I think long tossing was the last thing that I read. So he, he's at least thrown the ball twice since uh, uh, the the initial injury was disclosed. And, you know, maybe he'll miss a start. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that he uh, alerted everybody with the Mets organization that he was uh, feeling some tenderness in his elbow. And, you know, I, I think that the, the idea of Matt's throwing 35 uh, starts in a season right now seems like nothing more than a pipe dream. So, you know, if he misses a couple in in the beginning of the year rather than the end of the year, I don't think that's the end of the world. Yeah, I thought that there was an update that he still felt discomfort and is now getting an MRI tomorrow. But um, perhaps my information on that is wrong. So that that I think is what gave me a little bit more of a heightened concern. I thought Terry Collins's comments were, you know, seemed kind of callous, really, like what he was what he was talking about as far as. He seemed to be viewing Matt's abstractly as an actual human being and focusing more on, you know, the annoyance of his um, injuries. And and I agree with you 100%. Like, I don't think that there's any – this is no slight against Matt's, um, but some people just cannot – you know, they – it's a a sad old story in baseball that some of the most – um, intriguing talents that we've had just haven't been able to sustain careers because – um, throwing a baseball at 95 miles an hour is an unnatural act. So these kind of things are almost uh, routine. But you would think that once a player gets to the point where he's able to have a major league career, that um, perhaps he's you know proved himself to be the exception to that rule. But uh, this that just may not be the case in, in, in Matt's case. Well, speaking of guys who are always injured, uh, Juan Lagares is banged up again, and rumor has it that uh, if uh, Ligaris has to open the season on the DL that uh, Michael Conforto will be on the 25-man roster. Um, you know, and, and it, the question I have for you is, is it crazy to say you want him to play every day so he's going to go to the minors and then turn around and start him in the majors because the fourth outfielder got hurt? The whole thing with Conforto was crazy. I mean, I think Sandy uh, Alderson had just a terrible offseason just for this move alone, like the idea that, that he was going to kind of play chicken and um, pick up the option that Jay Bruce had given this circumstance was just completely outrageous and obviously backfired in an epic way. And the idea that Conforto is going to be squeezed out of a job by a guy that has you know, no future really whatsoever with the team is is just unconscionable in my opinion and to to put this in sharp relief uh you have a guy in bruce who since 2014 that's three season has an ops of 
735, and that's playing in, obviously, one of the most hitter-friendly parks in baseball, especially for left-handed power, right? And uh, Conforto last year, in his year that was so bad that, you know, his career is kind of like completely off track now, had an OPS of 725. So I just don't get this at all. Plus, Bruce obviously a hack in the field. Um, it, you know, really the play would be that Bruce would be the fourth outfielder and Conforto would start for as long as he's up. I mean, and that would just be the case, period. You know, and, and uh, Bruce and Granderson could vie for the other outfield spot, assuming Conforto can play center field, as the Mets seem to think he could. But it's just a mess. I just don't understand why the Mets have screwed around with one of the most intriguing hitting talents um, that that young hitting talents that I've seen in my lifetime as a Mets fan. Like I was very bullish on Conforto and, and I think um, the Mets have done all that they can to completely screw this up. Now I'm always in, in the camp of give the talented youngster a shot, regardless of how old he is or what position he plays. But having said that, allow me to play devil's advocate here. You got Jay Bruce who, you know, is certainly limited. No one's no one's claiming that he's a five-tool talent. When they acquired him last year, in about two-thirds of his season, he had 25 homers and 80 RBIs. And if he was able to do that over a full year and understand that hitting in the Great American Ballpark is a little different than hitting in City Field, but playing along, if he was able to do that and then extrapolate that out to a full season, that's what, like 35-plus homers and 115 RBIs? I mean, isn't that who we're hoping Conforto could be? Not really. I mean, Conforto, I talked to Keith Hernandez at the end of last season for an article for the Journal about Conforto specifically because uh, obviously Keith was very bullish on Conforto, and I was wondering what he thought after this season. And Keith told me that Conforto was still the prototypical number three hitter. There's only a handful of those guys in baseball that he can end up being a hitter on the, of the caliber of Daniel Murphy and, and himself. And he went through some of the great lefty hitters of the past, like Tony Oliva, he mentioned specifically. And there aren't many guys like this who could be like 300 hitters in the third hole of the batting order, guys who could hit the ball the other way and guys who could hit 25 homers. And I just don't really get – I mean, to me, there's just no comparison. Right now, if it's the ninth inning and there's runners on first and second and, you know, two out, who do I want up right now, Conforto or Jay Bruce? I mean, it's not even close to me. It's not, it's not even within the realm of, of uh, reason that I would prefer Jay Bruce in that situation. Now, I've seen you uh, on Twitter talking about a lot of Mets players, but one guy I don't think I've seen you discuss very much is Travis Darno. And I want to know, do you have any hope for Travis Darno? You, you know, he, he did have that, that great um, shortened season in 2015 where I thought that he was emerging as a uh, hitter, and obviously his catching was always going to be kind of borderline. And that's obviously been a problem this spring training with his inability to throw out runners. Uh, it just, you know, a scout in the Sports Illustrated uh, baseball preview, which I highly recommend, which was excellent, said that uh, Darno is, is an odd hitter and that he continually makes adjustments and then seems to forget the adjustments that he makes and just keeps making adjustments. <laughs> so um, I think that there's something to be said with just, you know, sticking to your guns, not letting people get in your head, 
and just uh, having that repetitive stroke and just hoping that those slumps just work themselves out. Like you can't always be, be uh, chasing a, a two hit game and changing what you did the prior game, because you're going to get to the point where you don't really know you don't have that foundation of knowing what actually works as a hitter. So perhaps that's his problem or just perhaps that, you know, Darno is just a, a borderline catch major league catcher. And, and, and that part of the trade, which was obviously, uh, so rewarding as far as getting Syndergaard uh, just didn't really work out. At the time of that trade, I mean, I did not think that um, – I thought that Syndergaard was the most intriguing piece even then. I was never really that bullish about uh, Darno as a prospect. And that's kind of borne itself out, although I have to admit, like in 2015 when he had those hot couple of months, I really thought that he could actually – that I was wrong about him. But uh, I, it's just uh, – and, you know, I, I think with the way this team is constructed, with the pitching staff, I think the Mets are just a better team with Rivera behind the plate. Now, with Darno, last year he had uh, all of the injury problems, which he seemingly had every year. But last year it really seemed to sap his power. But you were talking about the adjustments, the tinkering that he's constantly making. And, you know, I don't think any of us are, are hitting mechanic gurus, but I think at the same time that bat rap that he was using, that you need to have Gary Sheffield like bat speed in order to, to, to get your bat through the zone if you're going to hold the bat like he did last year. And I think that they've made some adjustments to that this year. So I'm cautiously optimistic about what a, what a healthy Darno with this new bat, batting style can do that he actually keeps it for more than a, a game or two at a time. Um, do, you, do you see the bat speed argument, or am I off base? No, that's, you know, that's obviously a good point. I mean, that's, it's, it's hard to emulate hitters that are, um, or the style of hitters that are freakish in their ability. And, and like you said, you know, Sheffield obviously was able to compensate for that kind of hitch in a swing with uh, elite bat speed, and that's not something that Darno possesses. So um, I think, you know, that that seems to be uh, – I, I just – I really question, like, the, the Mets coaching because I just don't understand. Like, when Hernandez was talking to me going back to Conforto, he said, you know, the adjustment that Conforto needs to make. He told me a story about how he had also similarly struggled for the first couple of years of his career when it looked like he – and he had fought serious doubt and crisis of confidence um, – in the in the seventies with the Cardinals. And he was also an elite minor league hitter. And Lou Brock said to him one day, you know, uh, where do you like the ball? And he said, Well, I like the ball out over the plate, you know, and he said, Well then how come you're swinging on at the pitches inside? Why don't you just swing at the pitches that you like to hit? And so that kind of you know, the neon, uh, the bell rung, the neon lights flashed, whatever happens when somebody has an epiphany. And he just made the adjustment of moving six inches off the plate. And he said, that's something that Conforto needs to do as well. And he needs to just, you know, stop trying to hit the pitches that he's less comfortable with unless he has to when there's two strikes and focus more on the pitches that he really likes to drive, which is the ball out of plate, which is the case with, you know, 90% of hitters. So, um, uh, but to me, like when Hernandez said that, I was like, well, why aren't the Mets coaches saying this? He's Mike. I'm Brian, and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, we're talking about uh, various Mets players, and one guy that I, I know I've, I've read you talking about quite a lot is uh, Matt Harvey. What are your expectations for the Dark Knight here in 2017? 
Well, I think Sunday was a game changer. I mean, I think he showed that he has um, – that he now he's likely to recapture the velocity that we feared was lost off of his uh, surgery. And, um, you know, a lot of people always talk about the history of that surgery, but it's a very small sample size. Most of the players tend to be older. Uh, one of the players who was similar in age to Harvey at the, at the time of the surgery, uh, Jaime Garcia, actually increased his velocity post-surgery. So um, I was not ever in a panic about uh, Harvey's velocity early in spring because the estimated full recovery from that surgery is 10 months, and he's only eight months out. So, um, but, but seeing what he did when, you know, he was consistently in the mid-90s and touching 96 miles an hour, I think 97 once, and coming off a start where he hit 96 once, I think that it's a very good bet that his velocity is going to be there. I still think he's going to need – you know, four to six weeks to get the feeling back in his breaking ball and in the secondary stuff, because you got to remember, I mean, Harvey literally did not have feeling in his hand last year. So the fact that he lost the feeling in his breaking stuff, apparently when you're watching him pitch, he doesn't seem to be able to nearly have the, the kind of command and spin rate that he had on those pitches prior to his injury. I think that that's something that reasonably is going to take some time to come uh, back from. But once it does, assuming that the velocity is in place, which I think it will be, I think Harvey uh, can be, you know, one of the, one of the better starters in major league baseball without a doubt. You referenced his last spring training start, and that was just a couple of days ago against the Braves. And one of the things that I was impressed upon was that he had quite a bit of, uh, bite on his breaking pitches. Not every single one of them, but there was enough of them to to feel very confident about him. And and all of the the trends are are positive. He's he's going longer into starts. He's he's hitting the velocity. He's starting to show more more break on on his ball. And you can look at the the end numbers that he had, and they're extremely uninspiring. But I, I don't think you could have asked for anything more from Harvey this spring training. And uh, I'm certainly more bullish about him now than, than I was uh, six weeks ago. Yeah, or even two weeks ago. I mean, like I said, I never really lost hope. But, you know, the fantasy baseball industry was completely, like, bailing on him. And uh, I think, the, like you said, it's not only the velocity, but he was also holding that velocity late in that start on Sunday. And and I agree with you that some of the breaking stuff did uh, – some of it was flat, as has been his problem, you know, during this period where he's had this, this injury and in and, and the recovery from this injury. But some of the – some of the uh, – he did throw a couple of sliders, and I think – and one changeup that were um, Harvey Caliber. So uh, that, to me, also bodes well in, in him uh, eventually being able to throw those pitches with more consistency. Well, let's uh, move from one Met star to another, and let's talk a little bit about UNS Cespedes. There's a, a little buzz going on right now about uh, he, he's hoping to put up an MVP-type year. And uh, how does that talk strike you? I think is, Cespedes is like uh, – or are we, are we supposed to say Cespedes now, or is it Cespedes? No. I mean, it will always be Cespedes old. to me. It, it will always be because it used to be a cesspitus for the rest of us, right? And now I think it's uh, cesspitus. But whatever it is, I think that, you know, he's earned the right to pronounce his name however he wants and to change it if he wishes. But I, I think that he's one of the rare players that um, usually, uh, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. 
And the more you see a player, the more you see his flaws, and the more you're just like, this guy was not nearly as good as I thought he was. And he's actually been a guy, the more you see him, the more you like him. I mean, he has just got elite bat speed, elite power, and um, plays with with a, a passion that I think is, is uh, you know, charming and exciting as a Mets fan. Like, it's good to have a player like that. So I, I, I definitely would not put it past um, – uh, is to be the MVP of the National League this year. I think that's well within his range of outcomes of that type of a season. Like that would have to probably be like a 75th or 80th percentile season for him. But um, he's pretty much played at that level for his entire Mets tenure. So uh, a, a lot of times, you know, these these players from from overseas and Cuba, in his case, it just takes some time to adjust. And he was never bad. But I think now he's completely comfortable in his surroundings, and I think his talent is expressing itself at a uh, maximum level. So maybe this is a guy that um, what we see is kind of what we're going to get with him. In regards to a a possible MVP, I guess the thing that, that jumps to my mind is can he separate himself from the rest of his teammates in a way that uh, Gary Carter in 86 and Daryl Strawberry in 88 were not able to do. And, of course, those guys had hitters as as people who were challenging them for MVP votes. But with uh, Yo, uh, I'm not even going to try the last name. We'll just go with Yo. Uh, Yo might have that competition from pitchers. It's certainly not uh, out of the realm of the possibility that Syndergaard might uh, put up a 25-win season and, and uh, draw MVP votes. What do you think? Well, I'd be a little surprised if Syndergaard was able to pile up that many starts and innings, but I think he's obviously an elite uh, talent and and is a guy that I I would not – I'd be mildly surprised since Kershaw is such a dominant pitcher. Uh, But, you know, other than Kershaw, if Kershaw is injured or has an off year or if Syndergaard uh, progresses further in his career, like he may, given the fact that he's – uh, work to increase velocity even more and also is adding other pitches and mastering other pitches more. Um, I, I would not be surprised for him to have like just a completely lights out season, but uh, you know, I think like you said, there's really no other competition. If the Mets are, are, are going to have a, a really good year, um, I think it would be led by him offensively, and that I think would actually help his MVP case. I, I would disagree with you, though. Like, I don't want to like go off on a tangent here with Mets history, but Carter's MVP season was really the '85 season. '86, the Mets really didn't have anybody where it could have been Keith. But other than that, you know, it would have been Keith if it was my vote, as far as at least the MVP of the Mets. But um, it definitely wasn't Carter in 86, in, 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 in my view. Um, but Strawberry definitely could have been the MVP in his last year with the Mets for sure because he was just dynamite that season. Well, let's uh, steer it back to the 2017 season and um, talk about another potential uh, uh, award winner for the Mets, and that's Robert Gesellman, who still uh, maintains rookie eligibility. Uh, of course, Gazelman uh, pitched great down the stretch uh, for the Mets last year and has looked pretty sharp here in, in spring training. But uh, if you look go over on fan graphs, the projections are, are, are middling at best for him. Uh, are you bearish uh, or bullish when it comes to Gazelman? Bullish. Here's the thing. Those fan graphs are still tethered to his prospect pedigree, which is middling. And this is exactly what happened with Jake DeGrom. And, you know, just like with DeGrom, the first time I saw DeGrom pitch, I was just like, this is not the guy that we were told 
you know, this is this is not who we thought he was, basically, in the old Denny Green quote, but kind of the inverse of that. Um, he was just a fundamentally different pitcher. I mean, we were – DeGrom supposedly had velocity in the low 90s. That was clearly false since he was not only hitting mid-90s and 97 miles an hour, but sustaining that velocity throughout starts. Same with Gazelman last year. That was my impression of him. The breaking stuff was, was uh, also plus where I thought, you know, the, the view of DeGrom was that that was just kind of like average. And he's just much better. I really think, uh, barring injury, that Gazelman is Jake DeGrom 2.0. I think uh, it would not surprise me at all if he won the Rookie of the Year. And I think that he is a guy, even in 12-team mixed fantasy leagues, and you know that I do a lot of fantasy baseball for Yahoo Sports, he is possibly a championship winner at a dollar, which you can get him for in, like, every league. Don't overpay. I'm not saying to go out and and draft this guy, you know, like he is an ace, but I think that he has a very good chance of being a top 25 pitcher in baseball this year. Now, uh, keeping with the – Right. Well, well, keeping with the uh, the fan graphs uh, trend that we started here, uh, Eno had an interesting comp for Gesellman, and he said he was a lot like Tanner Roark. And just wondering if you had any comment on the similarity between those two pitchers. I, I don't see it because Gesellman was throwing 95, 96 miles an hour. I mean, unless I imagine that. Is that isn't that what you saw last year? No. But- Last year he was in the mid-90s. He hasn't actually – I don't think he's hit that so far in, in spring training. Uh, so, yeah, but that's, um, that's, the proof that's will a be common. In the pro- yeah. Is so it common we'll for see if he's able to, to get that. Right. You don't want to be throwing max effort in meaningless games in Florida. So, you right. know, the, the proof will come over the next six months, obviously. But, I mean, I, I think there's still at least a little bit of concern um, velocity-wise with Gesellman. But uh, I, I'm glad to hear but that, how uh, you that your you're way, bullish on him as you, well. How could you fluke your way into that kind of velocity? Like, that's not sort of that, – there's no random aspect to it. I mean, once you demonstrate that skill, you own that skill, barring some sort of injury. Like, there's no – it would be unprecedented for Gazelman to come up and throw mid-90s consistently and now be a low-90s pitcher. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Guys usually are within, you know, a half a mile of their velocity in, in either direction. And um, if they're not, then that means that there's just something wrong with them mechanically or with, with their health. Even with the decreased uh, velocity so far here in in the spring, it's been encouraging that he's got a, a three to one strikeout walk ratio and and the ERA is so good. So um, I'm I'm big on Gazelman too. Uh, but you were mentioning your uh, uh, your your fantasy background, and as long as I got you here, I, I'm I'm going to uh, pump you for some information. Is that all right? Sure, let's go. All right, twelve team mixed dynasty. Points league, no in-season pickups. Okay, you with me? Yep. You can keep you can keep uh, 32 players year to year. Okay, and I have a, a, a solid team finished third last year, but I had a glaring hole in the bullpen. And along with that, I'm I'm solid or better everywhere else. Uh, my catching is solid, uh, fronted by uh, Lucroy. Um, team doesn't trend particularly old or young and uh, tomorrow is our draft big day of the year and I expect my best choices when it's my turn to pick 
to be either the uh, Cardinals closer O or the Cubs catcher Contreras. So if you're in my position, do you go for uh, the positional need in, in closer or do you go for the uh, age and, and upside with uh, Contreras? Well, you know, a lot of that, like you hate to say this, but saves are so lead dependent. You know, you just don't. Um, I, I, in any kind of, did you say this was dynasty, dynasty or keeper? Yes, dynasty. Thir- up with 32 players dynasty, a year. I, yeah. I hate taking uh, closers in dynasty. I mean, I think that that should be like, because basically the teams that are out of it are going to be, they'll, they'll give you, you know, all of their closers for one prospect um, in in June if you're contending. So you could always trade for closer, uh, active closers in a dynasty format. And I just hate wasting dynasty picks with, um, uh, you know, players that, uh, you know, on, on, on commodity players like like closers. I do like Oda. Now, uh, I mean, it depends on how close you are to contending, but but generally I advise against using premium resources on closers. I would much rather have uh, uh, my preferences are far and away a bat than a starter, than a closer, distant third. Well, we've got about uh, 20 seconds left. Um, just give me your thoughts quickly on Contreras. What do you think about Wilson? Uh, well, I mean, he's he's a guy that's taken a lot of money in expert leagues. I mean, I just saw a draft where he went for like $15 in a mixed league. So that kind of shocked me. Um, I, I'm not a guy that really wants to put a lot of money in catcher. Plus, you said you already have LaCroix. So, um, you know, I, I would probably be looking at another position if I could because I just don't think that there's a really a need to attack that position that much. But there's nothing – it's nothing against Contreras, who I think – will be one of the top catchers and is in a, um, you know, a good hitting environment. So, and, a, and most importantly, in a good lineup is only 24, I believe. So, um, exactly. I, I think I'm just going to get a coin out and, and, and flip it when, uh, when my turn comes up. Well, we are out of time. I'd like to thank uh, my guest tonight, Michael Salthino. You can uh, check him out on the uh, pages of the wall street journal. Also online at Yahoo sports and, uh, and Twitter. He's everywhere on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us tonight, Michael. Oh, it's my pleasure. At Michael Salfino on Twitter. Thanks a lot, man. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Good night, everyone.